no more. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay, so thank you for your time. Thank you for having this uh, small chat with us and for welcome. And um, I would like to start our conversation uh, talking about this beautiful place where we are. And I'd like to uh, know how would you define this space, this uh, house, this uh, studio, uh, an atelier, uh, uh, exhibition space, or what else? What is this? Uh, I think this is very much a mirror of our practice as a multi multidisciplinary studio. Uh, we have always worked uh, in a kind of like Casa Bottega setting. Mm -hmm. uh, from we were before arriving in Milan, we were set eight years in Paris. So okay. also in Paris, we had this type of like setting, uh, and because for, our the few, for the first years, yeah, for the first years, okay. when we had a studio, when we kind of moved back into this type of concept, uh, okay. one of the reasons why we liked it a lot is that as we are working in a in between, how can I say, objects and uniforms, or more maybe yeah. more precisely, uniforms and objects, because the uniforms always comes first, and then the objects kind of like lives out of that. This type of setting felt extremely natural because it allows us to uh, create uh, elements that we try out uh, as an experimental way on ourselves. So yeah, it's an eclectic, it's an eclectic space. Okay. Uh, and do you have another space in Denmark? Yes, we have yeah. a shipping and handling space uh, where all the physical archive and everything okay. is. Okay. So uh, yeah, there's two kind of like yeah. Okay, we have a warehouse in Denmark that is mainly used for logistics, but because we spent. Uh, okay. A lot of time there, okay. and due to like the Scandinavian market is a, one of our biggest market for the uniform. So sp spending a lot of time there is also good to have an office where we can okay. actually work and focus when we when we are in Denmark. But this space, I think, is also me and Martin are a couple in the, in uh, real life and work. And when we moved to Milan, we were actually looking for separate spaces, but then we fell mm -hmm. in love with this specific space that it was too big to be one or the other. <laughs> so we were okay, we so can totally combine it. Okay. And in a way, it's true that it makes it easier to have a multidisciplinary pra uh, practice because uh, you can kind of test everything you need, and that's the way we work, for example, with the mm -hmm. wagon or where the stools is objects that we created for ourselves because we, uh, we we wanted to have such a piece and then it became something that is part of our work as well. Yeah, it's part, I think it's also uh, an element between this whole thing about living with something that you have created new and then living with something old. Like, I mean, like time is a very essential part of our practice in terms of like how things patinate and how good ideas are supposed to last for a long time and stuff like that so in some way like uh, having a lot of uh, you know like eclectic pieces that in some way is a very much a reflection between my scandinavian my danish background and it's being italian and then the fact that you know we are making our uh, practice as a melting pot mm -hmm. between these two uh, this space is a reflection of that yeah, and, and it is it's exactly the mirror of your yes yeah. yes yeah. exactly and how does your collaboration with Nilufar has started? When we, we moved to, to Milan, we already had developed in the years a, a big amount of objects that we never showed to any, anybody. Okay. So all the marble carafe uh, and the perk is the marble sculpture, the, the pierced uh, yeah. breast. Uh, 
same thing with this uh, sofa there and some other mm -hmm. sculptures, some cutlery. And, and they were objects that we just developed because we always promised each other that we would have fun because already, I mean, being a couple, working together, it can be like sometimes you need, and making uniforms, sometimes can be that for a long period of time you just sell aprons mm -hmm. to chefs. So you need to, like, if you want to stay a bit creative and, and fun. So we worked, we, we, when we moved here, we already had all these pieces, but we never showcased to anybody. And we got in touch with Valentina Ciuffi from okay. uh, uh, Alcova, from yeah. Studio Vede. To, because we actually wanted to make a catalog of these items. Okay. Uh, Martin was in love with the book that she did for Nilofar, of uh, Lina Bobardi okay. exhibition. Okay. And, um, and then we contacted her. When she saw all the pieces, she was like, wow, let, let's make an exhibition. And, uh, wow. and then Oops, she introduced us to Nina, and Nina was uh, very supportive from the very beginning and uh, yeah no, I mean like we have known to Nina for me particularly having like a great uh, design interest uh, and been collecting design pieces I come from a, like a very design uh, fixated background in terms of my own family so I grew up with a lot of Scandinavian mid-century design and stuff like that so this sensitivity was always born but I think for me I was always kind of like I mean when you grow up in something you have a tendency to rebel against it so I grew up with a lot of leather and steel and and stone wood and uh, and my counter reaction and became something quite circusy and eclectically and to some degree Nina is also like the embodiment of that because her Iranian background being Milanese and, and stuff like that she's very much like the, the, a figure of that type of eclecticism and mix, mix matching things together so it was kind of like without us knowing it uh, an incredibly good match in the way of like uh, the way that she thinks and the way that uh, the, the development and the way that we both lived and worked so it, it was a very natural kind of like crossover but it happened very very coincidentally it was really not something uh, when we arrived like it is said we arrived in milan and then certain things led to the other because we were already working on something like that before we came here so uh, coincidence a bit of luck and then the fact that there is a lot of similarities between the two was and the fact that Milan has been welcoming us super well and like uh, yeah. people being curious about what we're doing and really supportive as well, I would say. Mm -hmm. so. um, can you talk about your background, your personal yeah. background? Yeah. We, I, uh, I mean, me and Martin, we both met at Alexander McQueen okay. in 2012. We were uh, working there as designers. So everything starts from fashion? Yeah, exactly. Okay. We both started, in, we studied in fashion school. I studied with Polymoda in Florence oh, okay. and he studied uh, LCF in London. And for some years, we kept working in the fashion industry. I was teaching at Parson in Paris, and I was working as textile designer for Balmain and then for Isabelle Maran for some years. That, that's why also the, uh, our uh, base was, uh, was Paris. Mm -hmm. In the meanwhile, we started uh, older in 2013, mm -hmm. and we moved to Iceland, actually, to a fjord, uh, uh, on the other side of Reykjavik because some friends of Martin bought a house that now is an art residency there mm -hmm. and they were like just saying like guys if you need a space to create like there is no key there is no lock just go there this mm -hmm. is the just address and uh, we moved there for a few months to start developing and brainstorming all the, the but like i mean concretely like the background yeah it's true that we, you know we had our first encounter uh, both professionally and privately at uh, alexander mcqueen but like i mean I'm, i 
I like I mean I moved to to study in London before that I was in Copenhagen mm-hmm. and back in the days there I used to work at uh, from the architect school in in Copenhagen not as an enrolled student more like as a you know a lot of my friends were there so I would have desks there okay. and I could work there. so for me this kind of like the way of look and I, at that point applying for fashion school like I always kind of like had one part of my head within that logic you know like so mm-hmm. people would be like creating you know, prototypes for buildings or chairs or tables or whatever. So this type of like aspect of seeing fashion through the eyes of like an architectural point of view or the other way around kind of became something that became an, a, 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 a part of all that. That's also where the, the uniforms became, um, okay. you know, was born because we liked the idea of like having a triangle between uh, the food scene, between the architectural scene mm-hmm. and between like us coming from the fashion <coughs> background. But we were just fed up with how that system was working and how the lack of like that ideology is expressed but it's never really uh, manifesting uh, in a real way and we, we, we love the idea that a uniform could be also like a political statement and a democratic product and a democratic mm-hmm. product and really like something of highly symbolic value uh, and stuff like that so it, 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 it kind of like unified a lot of the aspects and, mm-hmm. uh, and therefore we, we yeah that's yeah, okay yeah, so you started from uniform so and, and looking now at your work, at your portfolio on your website, uh, you, uh, you see that you are working on a really wide range of typologies. Yeah. And so this just happened. You didn't yeah. make this choice at the beginning no, of your no. practice. No, it was happened. not a Every, business plan. No, <laughs> okay. I mean, like, I think like I can today say with like I mean we never really made it as like we've always kind of been working like that but we've never been really expressive or communicative about it because in the beginning that didn't exist a uniform brand like the way that like we couldn't at least find one Mm -hmm. so we also didn't know how to like how far could we push it because these ideas were all were always there like I mean but we just didn't express it in the beginning because we needed us as well to kind of like really understand this type of industry, but today we see it almost as a more of a genre, uh, a way of working within, like trying to pull down the walls between different aspects. Like in the beginning, we always had like uh, people who applied to work in our studio came from like, I don't know, St. Martin's or Royal College of Art or Polymoda or something like that. Today we have people coming from Polytechnico or from UVA and Venice or, you know, different places uh, where it's much more just like, where, where, because a new generation can also see this mm-hmm. type of way of, that you know, pen, sorry, like nail and uh, pins and uh, sewing thread and fabric. At the end of the day, you can create tents out of yeah. that. And the first houses that ever existed were made of four sticks and some fabric. So this idea of trying to turn all of this type of mythology on its head mm-hmm. and try to look at it and really apply it, just it's just a toolbox at the end of the day. Yeah. So it all depends on the motif you're building. And, and we, we're both in love with that idea of, of Solving a utilitarian uh, problem within the uniform world is our, that's the business, that's what allows us to run our studio. Yeah. But at the same time, we really like the idea of proposing a new way of thinking within the... Uh, by, by default, I think we end up often uh, imagining objects that can be used in a hospitality context, so mm-hmm. like the serving wagon or the carafe. And of course, mm-hmm. that's a sculpture, it's not really functional. But it's a meditation of a But it's a meditation yeah. of yeah. A, something, a table object or something that could stand also. And the um, silver cutlery, or so. like we, we did objects that they are in our. In, they can fit uh, next to the uniform, they can mm-hmm. fill a space, then. And, uh, 
so this is also something that probably we we do normally we imagine like an holistic we have this holistic kind of approach to dressing yeah. up a space both the people that are working in it and mm -hmm. maybe like putting some items and then i mean i think at the end of the day because uniforms are so function based at the end of the day it's really like stripping down something down to its core so when we're thinking about like objects or things of design quite often it's a bit the same uh, thinking process that goes behind it really try to strip something down to like the basic idea okay. and then it just turn it a bit on its head a little bit mm -hmm. and that's the why we, we we are quite fond of naming our pieces like pretty straightforward almost stupid things because we like mm -hmm. the idea that that uh, but it doesn't need to be like over academic or it doesn't okay. need to be over intellectual clever. This thing can lies in the subtext, but it shouldn't be in the front. For instance, like I mean when we had the opening for this yesterday, like I mean when people ask what do you want to say with it, I mean at the end of the day I think I will, our answer was just like we would just like people to smile. Mm -hmm. Because it's in a period uh, they were created in a really dark period of COVID in the beginning and nobody knew what mm -hmm. was happening. So this whole idea that something can just apply a simple gesture like I mean yeah. we really like that uh, and that's the same with the pieces that we design which is different data and how do you choose your collaborators in order to manage all these different typologies for the person to work with mind off in the team yeah in the team I think it comes to... uh, quite naturally because I think from at the beginning it was more like the people that understood what we were doing that had an interest for it because okay. uh, uh, uniform was not super uh, easy to, uh, I think... In the beginning it wasn't hot, let's put yeah. it like that. It was really not hot uh, to do, exactly. like nobody got it, everybody was a bit yeah. like, oh, this is... Uniform, you know, you come like for chefs. Yeah. <laughs> it was almost like talked a bit down at something yeah. that was really late. And uh, for us, it almost gave like the fuel because, like, I mean, if if you come from like a fashion system in Paris, mm -hmm. and you say that you want to make a uniform brand and you want to call it older, then people will tell you like that you are an idiot because everybody wants to be young. It's about the new, it's about the seasonal thing. Okay. So, it, like, I mean, at the beginning, it was like it was a tough nut, but it was really also one of the things where we felt like at least here is a place where innovation can happen, and I think that was really like an important mm -hmm. part, and that thinking process has also become something that we put into a lot of the other stuff because we can instantly feel if we are if this attempt has already been done 20 times before then we have to be honest to ourselves and say it might be a commercial idea or something like that but it's not like we try to really stay, stay quite true to something of I don't know I don't know if I can call it like an underground culture or whatever like we're very influenced by music as well and love certain things so like I mean I don't know, I, we like the idea of cooking. And now, I mean, I think that people that work, we are a small team, we work with also a lot of other people that are external to the studio and as, like I mentioned before, with the artisan friends that are artisans or artists and we like to collaborate when uh, there is the possibility. But I think, uh, now, I mean, it's the, the nice thing of the people that want to work with us, they normally like to have a dynamic job and, and uh, multitasking uh, I think from one thing to the other because of course we uh, we can be we, we are never uh, every day on the same project we go from uniform from like the most uh, boring like basic uh, piece to a very maybe conceptual so they need to, to switch item. from fashion exactly. to product to exactly. okay. yeah and then we I mean, and yes. even our pattern maker in the atelier at the end like okay. the 
we've been passing cutting tables. Like I mean, yeah. we literally have pattern makers. The mirror who are in working. the entrance. We this, the mirror that's hanging here has been mm -hmm. made by like by us, but like like we pattern cutted it. So, we so just, you know, instead of making yeah. a shirt, we made a mirror. You know, okay. so, uh, so it's like the same person that created the, the pattern for a shirt, then will make the pattern for a for a object, and it's maybe not the most common way to work mm -hmm. uh, on it, like with the yeah the pattern paper for clothes but it's uh, something that for us we always found it like I don't know I think it's fun and makes work more dynamic and, and then uh, I think one and one of the key elements to why this is, is doable as well is because we completely self-funded like I mean we we haven't had we don't have any investor interest or whatever you know like this is literally like we did we call the shots or we don't uh, mm -hmm. we're not accountable to some sort of board okay. or something like this and, and I think this is at the end of the day the kind of like also the like it's very much in the spirit, this type of like indie approach to do it yourself and, and try to have, like, you know, you take the chance yourself. And when you've been doing that for a while, I'm sure you know that as well from running your stuff. Like, I mean, this thing, when you have like a hand on, on a hot plate, it also activates, you know, all the nerve sensors in your system. So you start to become really sensoric, sharp to some degree about what is the right way to go and what is definitely not the right way to go. Okay. This took some years, but like, I mean, it's definitely, uh, I, I hope that we are. Right. Yeah. And on your website, you talk about your non-industrial approach. Yeah. And um, uh, how much hard is to be coherent with this philosophy mm -hmm. in the contemporary scenario? And I mean, for the uniform, of course, uh, uh, there is an industrial part, but it's not like the mass production of uh, huge brands because everything is made in. Uh, all the material are produced in Italy, all the uniform are manufactured in Europe, so there is still like a, a more local and... Uh, no, but like the non-industrial matters for the well, objects. For the objects, exactly. For the objects, it's meant in the sense, quite literally, that all the pieces are made by the teacher's father. So, <laughs> uh, so he's not very industrial. Uh, and uh, like, I mean, it, it, that's how everything originated. Like, I mean, of these pieces you see there, they access these uh, seven. Our friend and, uh, that made this carafe, for example, I think, he used four years uh, yeah, he was uh, going. He, wor he worked in a famous uh, sculpture studio in uh, Pietrasanta, and this was a side project that he was doing before he started his own. Mm -hmm. So he was allowed to work from the studio, but every day he had to bring the back and forth the, the carafe with him at home. Mm -hmm. So he was like having those six, uh, seven children, like basically marble kids, to put in the car and protect. And uh, yeah. when he finished, he cried. I think for a week. <laughs> but I also think the non-industrial manner also comes from the fact that like a lot of the elements that we have, that you see on the homepage, but and with that was a deliberate choice that we put all of it up that we've been working on. But like, because a lot of them are prototypes. Like so, the wall lamps you have behind you is a prototype that we have made deliberately for our home, but it's not there. That doesn't exist in production. So, in that in that sense, we use that uh, non-industrial manner because when you're doing, we know that there are some uniforms. Um, like I mean, when you're producing something in mass numbers, it just looks the visual weight, the texture, everything. It looks differently when it's made very much by an artist and by hand. And this is good and bad because that's a different discussion, but that's something to do with pricing because when pricing goes naturally higher up and it becomes more exclusive to some sense because mm -hmm. you can produce less. But we kind of embrace the idea and like the idea that, that, that these pieces literally exist with no production besides that now with Nilufa we are producing the, the scarpette and that's actually the first time but they're yeah. still made by artisans. Still made by artisans. Yeah, just a few yeah. pieces. But it's just, it's just higher than, let's say, you do uh, 
seven or ten per something, you know. Yeah. Okay. But the, and that's also in, I think in opposition to the way, of course, to the to the uniform world, where of course like we have to rely on a bigger quantity in order to to keep offering uh, uh, the the best price to our client to have a permanent collection. And the, with the object, we don't really need to do that. We don't actually. We don't think that the, the word means more chairs no. or more things. No, no, no. We, just we, all, we always cut like a, when we are like sitting in some of these settings for Salon de Mobile and stuff like that. We actually kind of agree on the fact that we think the world has the chairs and the tables and all the stuff we need. Uh, but I think what you might can suggest is an idea and an approach and a methodology and if you're straightforward with that I th maybe that can spark uh, some I imagination or something like that and I, in that way these pieces are very ideologically driven and it's not something that uh, yeah like I mean it, it's very much based on that okay. um, can you talk about your connection with suppliers and the importance of the supply chain yeah mm -hmm. your work for uh, the, the uniform part, that's the, I would say essential because uh, um, the material is uh, a good eighty percent of our uh, of our success because it's like something that we developed um, very close mm -hmm. and with a big trust in like uh, the the people we work with. Uh, in the fact that they are all material made in Italy, 100%, with okay. like some uh, um, technology, fabric technology that allows the material to last long, but without uh, but with a uh, respect of uh, the, the, the planet uh, in a way, mm. because like with, uh, with a limited amount, limited amount of chemical uh, component okay. uh, in it. So I have to say that for us, like the, in, on the, on the suppliers are Hyper, um, hyper important and we try to limit them as much as possible. We have like very few suppliers and same mm -hmm. with the manufacturer because we want to be able to go visit uh, and, uh, and know what they do. And then at the same time we produce everything in Europe. So okay. this is also mm -hmm. very much a deliberate choice. Uh, so that means that we have the access. So we know exactly how these factories look like, we can visit them. Uh, we yeah we we've been working with the same factories since yeah. the beginning, and it's also something about naturally about overseas uh, shipping that we very much like think like if you can avoid it you should. We like very much the pro-European way of thinking as we are very much a reflection of that. You know, meeting in London, living in Paris, being in Milan, being Danish. In also, do not let so, this the tradition as a there is a very strong uh, European tradition. Uh, for manufacturing clothes and stuff like I think it's a bit sad to see this fading away mm -hmm. and uh, I, we think that especially now we see it with inflation uh, that we all that affects all of us and uh, shipping costs and everything like the fact that we can actually think, bring something back to Europe uh, and have like I mean, decent uh, um, work condition compared to maybe countries where we don't don't know what we do not have any control. I mean, like when we look but at clothes, quite often we look at the product like where it's been produced first in order to really like judge yeah. it for what it is because we know like I mean if it's all about like markups and making the most money then mm -hmm. then you know you would choose a different path. But again, like we are very deliberate about this because we also think it's an anti. Like, I mean, without like being too fascinated with that word, but like an anti-industrial way of making an industrial product to some degree, or at least insisting on the fact, because in this world in particular, greenwashing is like one of the most common things and we see it like every day, everywhere. Mm -hmm. And this whole idea of like trying really like as much as the product is pretty easy 
to understand, uh, mm. no matter kind of hopefully no matter what it is and how our the, the visual language of our homepage works or the designs and stuff like that. We really try to do the same when it comes to our supply chains. Really yeah. explain to people it's woven here, it's produced here, it's shipped here, and it's you know and okay. it's compostable, packed. Like I mean, small mm. things that we try to add in as a element. And again, you know, if it was about if we were having like some board somewhere who would say like you know you should you know it's all about you know the greens and stuff like that then we wouldn't do it, but because our drive really lies somewhere else, then we, we can allow ourselves to do but it. But for the object instead, we work in a different way, because we only use kind of leftover material, we don't mm -hmm. work with the uh, material impossible to find, uh, okay. things we always try. The wood, uh, the iron is uh, uh, putrelle di ferro, that, like That's something it. that exists in construction, the mm -hmm. uh, plywood, uh, like is, uh, came, like the idea came because we had scraps at home from it. Same with the marble, like all this marble come from like small blocks that they were uh, not uh, possible, like they couldn't use yeah, for from anything. Waste, yeah, from wasting waste, from yeah. other yeah. kind of... Exactly. And the, the curtains is made of leftover fabric swatches uh, and stuff like that. So, I mean, like again, I think the word sustainable is incredibly overused. Sadly, there's not that many words that cover that whole idea but like as an alternative. But I mean, I think you can express a way you can like working with modest materials uh, and working with some sort of limitation or maybe like a simplicity approach mm -hmm. to it for us is like extremely uh, important and also extremely inspiring like i mean because making something really l luxurious with all the possibilities in the world and you don't have to solve the function and it could just be like the most ridiculous price ever it is seriously not that hard to do. Like, I mean, yeah. to work with a limitation. It's interesting. No, it's exactly. Interesting. It's just another you know, <laughs> consumer good. And I think, like, in that sense, uh, you know, like the idea of working with something that's really to some degree modest and try to make something dreamy out of that is, for us at least, much bigger inspiration than, than if mm -hmm. it was just like pure luxury way of thinking or something like this. Okay. And my last question is about your language. Mm -hmm. How would you define your language? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> not a complicated one. Um, I, I hope sometimes, at least, I'm not sure because I, I'm not, I, I don't see it clearly, of course, because I'm not the receiver when I'm so much in it. I am the receiver as well, but, but I, coming, when it comes from my table and from the teacher's table, we see it naturally more subjective. But I hope uh, people, the language will appear as something that's quite simple and something that maybe sometimes can uh, crack a smile on people's face mm -hmm. and something that helps solving a function uh, in a daily life that means meaning primarily with the uniforms uh, and i hope that uh, the language as well will appear something that when you are having that tag in the back of your neck or if you see it that it's something that you uh, that you think of an ideological the setting or like i don't know like something like but it, you give it, that it gives you association to something mm -hmm. that's actually meant as something authentic and... Uh, that you care, you care about. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of like... Of course, you, one can pour a lot of uh, academic thoughts behind it and, and, yeah. and I have... And I have, like, I mean, both me and Letizia, 
you know, like, I mean, I have a library of design books. I've been studying <laughs> this thing for a long time, so I, and I'm really nerdy about it. But the more that I'm working with this, the more I'm starting to think that this is not really necessary to really try to, okay. to certainly like over uh, intellectualizing, uh, intellectual about like all of these aspects. I really think that, I really hope that there's just like a simplicity and, and how it's being perceived uh, is completely open to the person seeing it. Uh, we don't want to shove anything down the throat of people. We just want to stay as true as possible. And See, and I think like the, la the language we have at the end is like the, the um, what we apply to work is what we, I don't know, we try to um, to reflect our yeah, daily it's life. Simply the, the, the result of exactly, your approach exactly. and your philosophy exactly. and the, your way of do you think? Exactly. Yeah, and actually, just on the, on the footnote of that, I actually think at the end of the day, the language is super autobiographical because, like, all of the things that we are working with quite often take a starting point somewhere, it takes a starting point in ourselves. Like, I mean, these things were made originally mm -hmm. for Letizia wanting to have something for this house because mm -hmm. working there, so oh, yeah, their okay. kitchen was sometimes problem with the with the breakfast. Vitamin. To bring uh, everything on a tray and like fold and, <laughs> and <laughs> a lot of the, something on wheels. And a lot of the things that we're working on now has a reflection of the fact that uh, she's giving birth quite soon, so we are working very much with like a childish language and stuff. So at the end of the day, the, the language of Ola is, is an also an auto autobiographical language. Okay. Uh, we just dose it because, of course, not everybody who just wants to buy an apron needs to hear about uh, our private story. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we, we put that aside to, to solve the projects and then, uh, and then, yeah, get a way to express it. Okay, that's it. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. That's it, I guess. Uh,